The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. I'm Dave Cornoyer, and you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We are recording this episode on June 14th, 2020. We're joined today by our producer, as always, Adam Rosenhart. Hi, Adam. Hi, Dave. How's it going? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I am healthy and sane, as far that, as I know. That is excellent to hear. We're, we're also thrilled to be joined today uh, by today's guests, Avnish Nanda. Avnish is an Edmonton-based lawyer, uh, and, uh, and as, as, as far as I know, uh, has listened to the podcast, is a fan of the podcast, or has listened to the podcast, so we are, we are thrilled to have you on. Avnish, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Huge fan of the podcast and huge fan of both of yours as well. So anyone who's been, anyone who has turned on the news or social media this week will have immediately recognized a huge shift in public attention and public attitudes over the past few weeks towards the role of the police in Canada and the United States. The the term defund the police has become a conversation in the mainstream uh, here in Canada and the United States in reaction to the, the murder of George Floyd by a Minneapolis police officer. Uh, and countless other murders and examples of systematic racism and violent behavior by police forces across Canada and the United States. Now, this is something that's that's not new. It's something that we've seen for for a long time, uh, many years. But it really feels like this week there was a a huge shift that happened in terms of of how the public is how the public is reacting to this and how the public views this. A, a real shift um, that has put police and policing under the spotlight and put police forces under a real kind of scrutiny that I don't really, I, I, I can't really tell that they've really been under before. Um, so Avnish, just jump, jumping into this, I, I'm really hoping that you can share some, some of your thoughts with us about, uh, about what's happened over the past week, maybe about police accountability today, um, calls to defund the police or at least reform police forces. I know you've been very active on Twitter over the past week, sharing a lot of your thoughts on, on what, the, what, this, what this could actually mean. Um, could you share a little bit with our listeners about what about what your thoughts are on this? Well, I think we're just in a remarkable space, a space that I never thought would exist in my lifetime, to be honest, in, in terms of the uh, public engagement on these issues, particularly here in Alberta, um, where for the longest time, no real concern um, would be given to these issues. Um, I, I know that, um, that it, people have been having these conversations for years, um, years, but no one seemed to listen, particularly politicians. And now in the span of a few weeks, they went from essentially ignoring letters that me and other police reform advocates would write to them to you know, asking us for specific follow-ups, you know, help, help to draft re reform legislation. And I just think that um, it's heartening to see, but also uh, I just feel for you know, how many lost years we had because there have been instances, maybe not as, um, well, I, I would say that there have been instances that have been similar to George Floyd in Canada, but the, the public haven't been galvanized on this. Yeah, and I, and I think back a few, even to just a few years ago during the uh, 2017 municipal election, I know there were groups like Black Lives Matter, pardon me, Black Lives Matter, um, other different community groups. I know Bashir Mohammed played a big role in, in trying to get trying to, trying to make police carding a big issue during the municipal election campaign. And I remember how I mean, it seemed it was obviously an incredibly important issue, but it just seemed like it barely it, it got attention, but it barely got the attention that it deserved. 
Um, so, so, I mean, it's, it's really remarkable to see that, you know, looking back a few years ago when it was hard, you know, hard to get this on, on city council's attention to what's happening tomorrow is city council from what I understand here at Edmonton is actually having a, a hearing on policing issues, a hearing, a, a motion by, uh, introduced by Councillor Aaron Paquette to, to actually look at, at policing, look at, you know, what uh, the services provided by the police in terms of mental health issues and, and, and whether the, whether the police are the, from what I understand, uh, whether the police are the best, you know, are the, are the best to handle this. So I, I think that's, it's actually quite remarkable how, I mean, you're right, how politicians have, have almost immediately uh, uh, responded to this, whether, whether that actually results in concrete action is another thing, but it's certainly uh, on, on the public radar. So specifically here in Alberta, um, in terms of, I mean, we have, so it, there are a number of different police forces. So we have the Edmonton police, here in Edmonton, this is their municipal police forces in a number of municipalities. There are, um, I mean, there's provincial sheriffs, which are kind of, which are peace officers. There are, there's the RCMP. I, I mean, I was wondering if you could maybe, maybe help our listeners understand how the relationship between those police forces, how, how the relationship between city councils, police commissions, and the provincial federal and federal government works. I mean, if there is actually going to be action taken on, on, on dealing with some of these issues in police forces, like who, who actually has the power to make these changes? Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a good question you raise because it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's complicated, uh, it's complex. Policing uh, is generally considered under the um, kind of the provincial government and there, we have a police act in Alberta, which governs essentially uh, municipal police forces to a large extent but at the same time, in rural communities, there's and, and out some smaller municipalities, there is um, an agreement between the Alberta government and the federal government where the RCMP will provide policing services. And I think this is kind of a, a long-standing relationship that many provinces have with um, the federal government, where, where some provinces don't have the financial means to have a um, local police force uh, to cover the entire province. And I know you've, you've written about the, the history of the Alberta provincial police and why that went away. Um, so, so the municipal police forces are governed by the Police Act, um, which a provincial piece of legislation that sets up the relationship um, through and sets out these police commissions. So they're, munici- they're provincially ma- um, mandated bodies that have relationship with municipalities that set out a, uh, a commission um, which uh, consists of members of the municipal council, city councillors, but also members of the public to help direct and provide some sort of governance oversight of municipal police forces. Um, and when it comes to the federal RCMP, uh, every few years, I, depending on the province, it ranges from five to 10 to 15 years, there's an agreement between a province and the RCMP uh, with respect to the RCMP providing services. And in that agreement, there's certain governance uh, um, uh, conditions or governance um, agreements uh, with respect to how that relationship will occur and how policing will be directed. So th- there's a, a bunch of moving parts and um, it's uh, often difficult for people who want to engage with these issues to kind of wrap their head around because even though the RCMP is federal, in some cases, uh, Alberta's um, um, kind of limited civilian oversight body will investigate its conduct. But in most cases, it's a federal body um, that will investigate um, RCMP issues that occur in Alberta, so it's uh, it's very complex. And and RCMP issues, I mean, that's a 
that's a very relevant. I mean, it's relevant to all, everywhere in Alberta, but specifically, I mean, it's really relevant in rural Alberta. And we've seen a number of issues with, I mean, over the, this is nothing new. This is something that, 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 that we've seen over the years, a number of issues in, in rural Alberta with RCMP conduct towards First Nations people and First Nations communities. And over the past week, we saw footage released from back in March up in Fort McMurray uh, with the, the police acting very violently, RCMP acting very violently and, and uh, with a very heavy hand um, to uh, uh, uh uh, at the basket chip one uh, first nations chief uh, alan adam and that that video i think here in alberta that really uh it really helped push this push this movement and push this uh, push this issue to the forefront when that when that i mean when when the images were first released and then the work that was done um pushing the rcmp to actually release the video footage and and people could actually take a look to see what exactly had happened i think that that really really woke up quite a few people in this province to what what that issue was and I think um, what people need to understand is that what we saw in that video and the general experience of Indigenous people in this province when it comes to policing by RCMP um, is the norm. Like, I, I, you know, I've worked on these issues in, um, sorry, that, that buzzes me, just my phone is linked, but I worked on these issues in British Columbia and in Alberta, particularly in northern and rural communities where the RCMP is the only police force. and. Uh, it is gut-wrenching. It is, um, mistrust is rampant and the mistrust uh, from my perspective is based on the over-policing and the excessive force and the lack of regard, I think, to Indigenous people. And, I, and you know, there's been a big discussion the last week whether there's systemic racism um, in RCMP policing. And I just don't think um, how you could view this, view it as not being evident uh, um, if you have read or listened or just followed this issue over the years. Um, and this is not just an Alberta issue. This, this is an issue across this province, or, sorry, across this country. So one of the, one of the, one of the terms that I've, or one of the, one of the sayings that I've heard over the past week, uh, a number of people say is, is when talking about the police and talking about what the police are used for, um, and maybe that there could, and, and, and with, with, along with the argument that uh, that a number of the functions, of, a number of the functions of the, that police do, a number of the things that the police do on a daily basis could be handled by other by other uh, other professions, social workers, uh, mental health workers. Example, I mean, the, the 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 phrase I've heard is, "When you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail," and that that really, I mean, being a white guy. Uh, in Edmonton, my interaction with the police is, I've had very little actual interaction with the police. Um, my, generally my interactions with the police, I mean, the, my most notable interaction was the police with the police was when I had to go fill out a form when I got into a car accident. So I had to go and, and so, so for my experience, uh, is going to be a lot different than a lot of people, a lot, especially a lot of uh, black, indigenous, and, and people of color here in the city in terms of their interaction with the police, um, or even even women in, in interaction with the police. So, so a lot of these concepts, a lot of a lot of the things we've been talking about this week. I mean, it's not, not, not nothing that I didn't. It's not nothing, not something that I didn't know about in the past, but it's something that I hadn't, in in a lot of ways, hadn't really thought about or really internalized about my my place of privilege in society and in this city in this province and how um i wouldn't you know really i would never face in a lot of ways the same type of inter I, I would never face the same type of, of interaction with the police that many uh many people of color or many first nations people in alberta or and across canada would deal with so so 
it's been I think for me it's been a very interesting listening and, and been listening and reading a lot about this um, about how we could use you know how, how many of the things that the police police do on a daily basis could be replaced by or could be done by people who are very likely better equipped to deal with it in terms of mental health checks for example I mean listening to the the you know the heartbreaking story of what happened in, in New Brunswick and what happened in British Columbia um, over the, just over this past week with First Nations people being killed by the police um, by the RCMP um, in you know in situations where the police probably weren't you know, probably weren't the best best equipped to to, uh, to deal with those situations in terms of of being able to you know create a situation that doesn't escalate out of control almost immediately. Um, so that term, the, the the hammer term, that when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. It really, um, it really really makes me think. Really, really is, has helped me help make me think about about this issue of peace account, police accountability and, and the arguments around defunding the police and, and what exactly the role of the police force is um, in our society. And, and, and uh, yeah. No, you've hit the well, nail on the hammer, I think, you know, uh, just even at that, I, I think that, um, I think one's vantage point in society really helps you perceive what this uh, institution is. And, and I think, it's important to view it as an institution. You know, it, it's this, it's this entity or institution that we give enormous power and, and enormous trust. Um, essentially, we're giving these folks the right to um, restrict people's liberty, liberty and freedom, but also to take life and take life uh, in the interest of the broader public safety. But um, you know, how we do that? Whether we want. Um, people to, you know, you, you know, use for, um, in, in your words, use a hammer to address these issues when we don't need a hammer, when we need, you know, other tools, uh, people who are not, uh, you know, just trained, you know, to use force or to engage in matters through um, an escalation or through violence or the threat of violence, you know, we really have to reconsider these things. But policing is multifaceted. And, and there's many folks who are, you know, proposing a variety of ways to transform, revolutionize, or reform this institution. And I think that all those options are on the table, but we just need to recognize the different vantage points and different um, aspects of the public good, public safety, that are being um, uh, kind of addressed through this institution. How do we do this in an effective manner? Um, you know, I've had a unique vantage point of not, not only representing racialized, marginalized people engaging with the police uh, in terms of, you know, being subject to an excessive force incident or um, some sort of deprivation of a right. But on the flip side, those same members of the same communities trying to get the police to care about those issues, particularly young Indigenous women who face some sort of sexual trauma. So, you know, like there is a need for something, uh, some institution out there to engage in this type of work. But how do we do it in the way that the communities that have historically been excluded from that process are involved, so that it it it, it reflects them in, in all that way that that term means, but also um, protects their interests in this realm that that cares for them, but also doesn't over police and deprive them of kind of their place in this society. So it's it's very complicated. So circling back a bit to, to just to, to come something we were talking about just just a minute ago about Edmonton City Council's hearing on. On June fifteenth. Now you've, you know, you talked about 
the role of the police commission and how it this is a, it is a very complicated structure in terms of who actually has the ability to to influence and make these decisions now from what i understand so city council has there are two city councils i believe who sit on there are two city councillors who sit on on the Edmonton police commission um so city council itself from what i understand doesn't have the ability to direct the police in the way that the police commission does but city council controls the funding and controls a lot of those financial mechanisms that the police have so in terms of of the hearing that's happening at edmonton what what kind of meaning what are we guess what what are you hoping to hear from from councillors at, at this hearing and, and what kind of meaningful what kind of meaningful decisions can city council make that that would have a would have an impact on this or could could create a positive impact on this uh, you know, there, there's a couple of things, and I, I'm not sure if uh, uh, Dave or uh, Adam uh, have received, if, you, if you've seen the response that Don Iveson uh, emailed out to folks who signed the Black, Letter, Black Lives Matter pledge in Edmonton, but um, his letter back came back, it was sent out yesterday to many folks, and I can forward that along to you, to Dave, to maybe reflect, but it provides a very detailed outline of what the city is considering on a short-term, long, medium-term, and long-term approach. But, you know, I, I think specifically with the city, um, they need to consider, and, and, and Don Iverson, the Mayor Iverson's letter kind of acknowledges this uh, about, you know, there's limited direct control, but what control they have, um, they can put it to use, uh, specifically kind of reallocating certain funding towards addressing systemic issues that are um, kind of the, the cause for a lot of the, of the um, um, uh, police calls and engagements with the police for mental health intervention, social work, housing, poverty, the broad spectrum. Um, that could be on the table of reallocating funds um, towards that purpose. Uh, I know, for instance, that um, there's kind of immediate cost savings that um, can be achieved or reallocations from the police budget to you know, hiring social workers under the, the city's Brands to deal with the 30% of calls that are essentially mental health interventions. You know, having dedicated people uh, who who are experts in this area attend to those rather than armed officers who may um, escalate something that may result in an injury or a loss of life. Uh, in addition to that, I think um, what what the biggest thing I, I think coming from this and and what I imagine council wants to do is hear from the public to kind of further enhance that. Uh, democratic accountability aspect where there, there's they can point to you know citizen after citizen loud voices saying we want something done here so that they can tell that to other levels of government to get their act together because you know in the equation of governments I would argue that uh, municipalities have the least influence um, directly on, on policing but they kind of share share the burden of uh, or have the most burden of being responsible to citizens because most people think the Edmonton Police Service well that's Edmonton C City Hall is managing that when in reality they don't have that direct control over what actual policing services or, or uh, policies are enacted or implemented by a police uh, force. So one, one of the other reactions we've had from government this week is or was last would have been would have been last week I think is um, Provincial Justice Minister Doug Schweitzer announced that the province was going to review the Police Act, and um, this obviously seemed like it was a direct reaction to uh, direct reaction to what was happening outside or in, outside of the provincial government. So, what was happening with with Black Lives Matter and with the reaction towards policing? Um, he's said Schweitzer said specifically that he was going to um, going to engage and consult with 
uh, with police commissions going to engage and consult with municipalities and First Nations leaders. Uh, like prevent from the provincial level is is do you think that there could be meaningful changes made through the through review of the police act i, I do it and it's been ongoing for years actually they were like under the last uh, government they had government really enacted this very comprehensive and you know transformative review uh, and they engaged okay. all the stakeholders that you can imagine from indigenous communities to police unions to organizations like the um, policing committee of the Criminal Trial Lawyers Association, which, I, which I'm a member of, and it was really robust. Everything was on the table um, and really engaged. Uh, it, it was a kind of a remarkable exercise. We've never seen something like that in Alberta. But last April, when the new government was elected, uh, it was shelved. You know, it just didn't continue. Um, and uh, we know that there was an interim report based on the first round of consultations provided to the government. And we know that the government has that and we know we have a sense of what's in there because what's i think remarkable that um may elude people who view policing issues in a binary that you know police want this advocates want that is that there's significant amount of common ground on oversight changes accountability changes and the only person in the or entity in the equation that hasn't moved on this is the province so if you have all stakeholders agreeing on specific reforms you know, I don't know why that it's not implemented immediately. So I, I think the public pressure, you're right. And I think, you know, Black Lives Matter, Edmonton, you know, and in Calgary and across the province and protesters and advocates deserve some credit. But I think it's more of a reflection. And this is maybe my um, my pessimism of just um, and, and just like optimism where things are going. But the, the average Albertan got, got saw the video of George Floyd and got extremely upset and asked what's what's going on in policing in our cities or in our province and i think the government realized that this is something that they can't ignore and they need to engage in this process and my um, hope is that this isn't just lip service i think um, they need to start right away i know that most stakeholders are ready to go like they were expecting to continue on but it's been sidelined for a year um, so hopefully there's some significant changes coming out of this from carding which is one issue that i think stakeholders don't agree but on other issues, there is kind of widespread agreement. And what what are those issues? Specifically, uh, so right now, in most cases, uh, cases uh, of police complaints um, that don't deal with death in custodies, um, significant uh, injuries in custody, or uh, like corruption cases or other sensitive matters such as sexual assault involving police officers or allegations against police officers, uh, all those issues, that scope of complaints falls under ACERT, which is the uh, kind of the civilian agency created by the province um, to investigate such matters. But everything else is dealt with by the police service um, that the member who's being complained of belongs to. So uh, in those cases, the police service um, that the member belongs to who's being complained of will investigate that police officer. So that police officer who's subject to a complaint, his or her colleagues will investigate uh, their conduct. And then their chief, so that member's chief, will determine if uh, a complaint is made out. And obviously there's concerns about, you know, a bias to put it kind of more directly, but just um, transparency, you know, re reasonable apprehension that, 
or reasonable concerns that uh, a full and thorough investigation will not occur. And within police unions and, and police uh, services as well, there's acknowledgement that internal politics can influence this as well in terms of who gets investigated, you know, which supervisor squad is being investigated, and, and whether um, you know, certain concerns are taken more seriously than others, depending on you know what internal issues are within the police service. So that's why the chiefs, the uh, police unions, and the public have called, uh, well, police reform advocates, reform advocates have said, we need to get this out of the hands of police services and broaden the scope of ACERT or create a new organization so that every police complaint that comes out is dealt with by this organization and that this organization doesn't take years. Because right now it'll take years. Like the Chief Alan Adams um, incident, I wouldn't be surprised if that takes two or three years to get to a point where a recommendation is made, either a charge is laid or not. And during that period of time, um, you know, the, the officers could be still working or are suspended with pay. Uh, so th that just that just works for no one's interest, right? Whose interest is served with elongated, drawn out um, uh, investigations? And, and the question is resource allocation, like resource funding to ACER or any civilian body, because it's one thing to give them the mandate, but you need to give them the resources to do their work in an effective and timely way. And also the mechanisms to kind of engage in processes to, to ensure accountability is done immediately and in a thorough manner. This episode of the Dave Berta Podcast is brought to you by Straight from the CPA's Mouth, a new podcast series created by the CPA Education Foundation and funded by the Heshi CPA Knowledge Center. Alberta's Chartered Professional Accountants, or CPAs, are experts on a wide range of topics and issues of interest to Albertans. Straight from the CPA's mouth has discussions on topics important to you, from leadership skills and achieving career potential to financial literacy and how to make your tax refund bigger. Whether you're a university student, a new Albertan, or a parent, you'll find something of value on this unique podcast. You'll find Straight from the CPA's Mouth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or on the CPA Education Foundation's website at cpaalberta.ca slash foundation. That's cpaalberta.ca slash foundation. This episode of the Dave Berta Podcast is also brought to you by Storylines, a podcast from Women in Film and Television Alberta. Storylines highlights some of our province's most successful women in film and television, both behind the camera and in front of it. Host Sheena Rossiter is herself a filmmaker, and she has some deep and instructive conversations with trailblazers and experts in the field. A recent episode you might find interesting is an interview with Tasha Hubbard. She's an award-winning Cree filmmaker. She speaks with Storylines host Sheena Rossiter about how she got into making documentary films uh, the importance of telling Indigenous stories, and the success of her most recent film. You can check out Storylines on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find it at wifta.ca. Absolutely. So that would, that would, that would be, um, in theory, would be a, a body of the province or, or an agency created or investigative agency created by the province that would cover, that would investigate uh, would investigate all levels of policing in in uh, incidents and level levels of policing in Alberta from uh, from Calgary City Police to the RCMP. I would like that. Um, I think many many groups would like that. I think the RCMP equation uh, is something that has to be worked out because they have their own internal um, process um, for I guess not non serious and and uh, 
kind of non-death in custody. A lot of death in custody season serious ones will go to ACER. That's part of the like uh, legislation. But all other things that fall out of that camp are actually dealt with through the federal process. But it's essentially the same. So an RCMP uh, complaint is made. The RCMP will investigate it themselves, often the same detachment. And then uh, if a person is unhappy with that, they'll make a complaint to a civilian body, uh, it's a civilian complaints body for the RCMP. And uh, they will uh, review that. And if they determine that, well, no, no big issue here, your complaint's dismissed, that's it for that person. So, um, so uh, that process is a separate conversation, but that needs to be reformed. And that's quite deficient for a number of reasons. But that needs to come under, I think, Alberta, um, province of Alberta jurisdiction. And part of this reform, broader reform process, it should all be amalgamated into one. I don't think it should matter if you are in you know, with Buffalo or in Edmonton, and if you have a negative interaction with the police, that it should be dealt with by one body in Alberta and not just this runaround, because there are different mechanisms in both cases. And I would argue actually the Police Act, as it presently is, notwithstanding the reforms that we're, we're calling for, is more robust and, and, and a better process than what the federal government provides um, for the RCMP. Um, again, I know this is very technical and nuanced, but this sort of stuff is, is super important for that that individual who gets has a negative in, in, uh, interaction with the police, gets beat up, and is looking for mechanisms for accountability because um, what is available for them is drastically different depending on whether it's RCMP or a municipal police force. But in both cases, they're not as effective as they ought to be and, as re and is recognized as such by um, the RCMP, uh, municipal police forces in Alberta, police unions and reform advocates. No, I, th I think that's it's very it's very useful. I'm really glad that you you were able to explain that um, because I think it's it is a confusing issue for a lot of people and trying to understand the different layers and the different jurisdiction, the different layers of government and layers of 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 authority of, of authority that that uh, that that that, uh, that govern police and that fall in, fall under the the accountability mechanisms. I think that that's that's really important. I think it's really interesting. I mean, a year from now, we're going to be having, uh, there will be across the province of Alberta, candidates running for municipal elections. And I think the timing of this is, uh, I mean, I don't want to, the, the timing of this is, is, is I, I, what, what I hope is we'll have a serious impact on the next municipal election and we'll force candidates who are thinking about running who do declare that they're running in municipal elections, running for city council, running for, uh, running for mayors, running for school boards um, to actually take a position on this and actually think about and, and be, be forced to deal, forced to deal with this issue. Um, so I, in some ways, uh, I mean, I think the timing of this is could, could potentially have a significant impact on, uh, on the next city councils and the next, even the next school boards going into uh, going into the 2021 municipal election in Alberta. And I, and I do hope it has, it has a, has a real impact. And like I said, like I said earlier, the, the issue of carding was an issue during the last municipal election. I don't think it was the defining issue, but it was definitely something that was talked about and got attention. Um, and I hope that this issue, I hope that, that the issue of, of, of policing uh, does remain an issue. I mean, I, I at this point, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen next week, but, but there seems like there's quite a bit of momentum behind this issue. I can't see this simply just going away. And Dave, I don't know if you recall, but we actually had a um, debate between um, municipal councillor candidates in Edmonton in 2017. Um, Aaron Paquette actually debated, um, I'm not sure how to pronounce the name, but uh, 
uh, last name is uh, Partizan. He, he's the he works for the UCP right now or used to. Um, he was a candidate who was a former uh, I think peace officer and he was in favor of carding. Uh, Paquette was against carding and they had a debate actually uh, covered by the CBC I recall and but uh, even though after after um, Councillor Paquette was elected. You know, he's an advocate for these changes. Uh, he's an indigenous man. I think he knows what it's like to be treated in the manner that many people are who are subject to carding and that demeaning and dehumanizing interaction. But it just shows how limited uh, the city is, like councillors are, that a lot of the systemic reforms is police commission or the province. So I, I'm, I would love to see more people like Aaron Paquette and other candidates to really take strong stands on these, but you know, it's just got to push on up to those politicians who really uh, have the ability to change, make the changes needed. So, I mean, aside from looking at the next election and asking, you know, and having people, you know, demand questions and demand answers from their candidates and hold them accountable at the ballot box. What do you think can be done? Uh, individuals, like people listen to this podcast, individual Albertans, what do you think they can do between now and then, or even just like, Right after this, this podcast, what can they do to have a meaningful impact on this? You know what? I'm um, just my perspective. Like I've come to this as like kind of like a social activist, community organizing perspective, and my uh, I, 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 like I just look at my experience. Like I so so Dave, you've known me for a while, and when I was kind of university, I was involved in this kind of stuff. Not necessarily policing stuff, but more on like social justice, equity stuff, and. You know, when I was coming out looking at how to do this work, I felt like Alberta wasn't the best place. So I went to BC and I worked for a guy who was just spearheading a lot of this major reform work in British Columbia for the BC Civil Liberties Association, a guy named Dave Eby. And I went there and I didn't really care about policing. And I went and then he's like, I'm like, oh, what am I going to do here? He's like, well, you can do policing. So I was doing all the police complaints. I was working on these really like traumatic uh, uh, and devastating negative police encounters, including um, mainly death in custodies. And, you know, you'd hear from the families and there'd just be a loss of like what to do uh, initially, but then they would find an organization like the BCCLA who would be like, okay, we'll do the investigation. We'll look through the file. We'll raise all these questions. We'll, we'll, we'll hold the police accountable for you because you can't do this yourself. You may not have the means or experience. Um, and it really, created this shift in public perception, but also it led to concrete changes in British Columbia in terms of police oversight, in terms of relationship between the community and police. Uh, and there was this particular emphasis on indigenous policing in the rural communities that, you know, taking perspectives and examples of from rural communities, but also, you know, making complaints on behalf of communities and individual members. And it really shifted the negotiation between the province and the federal government with respect to that um, RCMP uh, um, policing contract and what was included in terms of checks and safeties. We don't have that in Alberta. We don't have this um, organization that folks can go to who can advocate, who can serve that purpose for you. And in many cases, both the systemic reform issues, but also the um, uh, like direct individual interactions, or if you've had a negative interaction with the police, who can help you? That's left on individual lawyers. And it's just not, not sustainable. Like there, there's no money in that. You know, I get like 10 calls a day from people who have had these issues either in prison or had them like with a police officer. And I just can't respond because I just, I just don't have time. And I know that I'm not going to be compensated for it. And, you know, you know, I have to survive. So we need some sort of civil liberties association who's able to make action on this. And, and we have groups like the 
criminal trial lawyers association uh, who um, is an anomaly in this country because in most cases, most civil defense organizations, uh, sorry, criminal defense organizations, a lot of those members represent the police um, in, in, in um, disciplinary matters. So they won't take issues uh, around policing. But our version in Edmonton uh, doesn't do that. We don't have that conflict. So we're able to be strong and direct on these matters. But we just need a broader Alberta one that will address issues in a systemic way, but also the individual ones, so that there's a mechanism for someone who has an issue uh, to raise these points. How do we start that? That's, I think, what the conversation needs to be, because that's going to lead to lasting change. And that'll hopefully provide an outlet for people who are uh, want to see change to direct their efforts, because um, there's a lot of moving parts here. It can get quite technical. And without an organization able to navigate that, I don't know how we can ensure there's lasting change because we can't really rely on um, the current political wins and politicians reacting them for kind of long, sustainable change. Well, it, it sounds like we need a civil liberties association here in Alberta. So, yeah, yeah, one that's uh, advocacy based because we have Ad one that's research based, but okay. we need someone to be able to be on the streets. Okay, okay. Well, wh why do you why do you think we don't have that in Alberta right now? Uh, uh, well, I think there's two, and I've actually like spent a lot of time looking into this. There's two, I think, uh, well, one structural issue is that funding. I, I know that our law, like a lot of these um, organizations in uh, like the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, Ontario, and the BC's equivalent, a lot of their funding comes from uh, the, the law foundations in those provinces. So um, for lawyers, you know, there's a, there's, when you do anything with a lawyer and you give them money, it's usually placed in a trust account. So that's me. That's your money, but it's my trust account, the lawyer's trust account, and any interest generated on that, I don't keep as a lawyer, right? I, I give that to a foundation that the province has established where that money can be diverted into like public interest work. So it's millions and millions and millions of dollars a year. In Alberta, historically, that money has not been allowed to be used for advocacy purposes. In BC and Ontario, it is allowed. So those money can be directed to organizations that will sue the police or sorry sue the government that's giving them the money or directing them that money um, also to engage in advocacy work uh, for a long time that wasn't allowed in Alberta I don't think it's allowed now though somebody's indicated to me that um, it can be read into this piece of legislation but uh, that's a big structural issue so there's no like real foundation funding to get this off the ground because it's it's quite cumbersome in terms of the resources and work required, and you know you have no clients who are going to pay you, you know, like to do this work. Uh, the second issue, I think, there's this political culture. There, there's a very famous book on police accountability and civilian oversight. Samuel Walker, Police Accountability: The Role of Citizen Oversight. And, and there's many books like this. Samuel Walker has written a bunch, but it's that book that really galvanized a lot of folks and allowed people to kind of conceive of what how this should how the relationship between the public civilians and the police should be but in that book he talks about how the biggest uh, impact on civil rights civil liberties police accountability is the existence of a strong and robust civil rights bar like like lawyers who um dealing with people who have negative interaction racialized marginalized whatever who are able to willing to be like okay this is wrong we need to do something about that uh, there is this, and this is just my perspective, there is this uh, deferential attitude that with, it, it exists with a large portion, I think, of our 
our kind of legal community in Edmonton, that's changing. That's, that's really changing. And we have people like Tom Engel, who for like 20, 30 years was the sole voice saying, this is wrong, we need to do anything. And writing letters to, to like every incident that's come across his desk, he has written a letter to whatever body um, asking them to do something. And he's not getting paid for this, you know? And it was remarkable, like the, the, the longevity and just the commitment and dedication and uh, no one seemed to care. No one was willing to help him. Um, he was, he actually, like, I don't know, you should have him on because if, if you just Google Tom Engel, um, you'll talk, you'll learn about how, like, not only has the police union come against him, but he's been subject to about 19 to 20 uh, law society complaints for his advocacy on these issues. And, you know, that's an expensive process to defend. He could have lost his ability to practice law. He's been cleared in every single one of them. But that shows you kind of the, repercussions of doing this work. And I think it really dissuades a lot of lawyers to take this up. And you would think that lawyers would be kind of fearless in their advocacy around these issues, particularly on like clear injustices, but that hasn't occurred. And I think um, the BCCLA in British Columbia and the CCCLA in Ontario, they've had a community of civil rights lawyers who have been like, this is wrong, we need to do something, notwithstanding whatever scrutiny and, and however unpopular these causes are that's coming in Alberta. So that needs to really buttress the movement. So um, hopefully we're there. Cause like, I, you know, since I turned, I think 18, I've been like interested in this question because we've been this anomaly in Canada. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of issues here and without these voices, this organizing, uh, these perspectives, nothing will change and nothing, no change will last. So hopefully people can start thinking about how we can do this because I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done. So you've been you've been working on a you sent me you sent me a link and I saw something at this I saw something on uh, on Twitter about this uh, a week or so ago. You've been working on a new podcast about policing in Edmonton, so policing Black Lives in Edmonton, and it's called "Is This for Real?" So could you tell us a little, share a little bit about the podcast? We'd sure. love to, lo love you to talk about it. Yeah, for sure, and really appreciate it. It's uh, I think a lot of um, folks when they hear about the over-policing and the particular experience of racialized community, particularly black Edmontonians in Edmonton with the police, and they may be surprised by that, right? Um, and also, when you talk to a lot of black Edmontonians about their experiences with the police, a lot of times they, they tell you that people they tell don't necessarily believe them because it just sounds so um, uh, far out, you know, out there in terms of uh, the, the feelings of being threatened or feeling not being safe with the police. Um, just because the different vantage boards, different experiences um, when it comes to interacting with the police. So one thing that a few um, a few friends of mine, Bashir Mohammed, who's a um, an activist, writer, um, educator on black issues in Edmonton history and in Canada and Alberta, as well as Omar Salafu, another black Edmontonian who uh, is a journalist. Uh, we thought that it would be valuable for people to kind of learn that personal experience of, you know, somebody they may be able to identify in many respects, but you know, may have a different lived experience because of the color of their skin, because of their race, when it comes to the police. So we wanna provide a, a personal narrative-based uh, experience of what it's like to be a black person in Edmonton with respect to the police and the various policing issues that, that uh, come up. So we wanna really drive this conversation in a nuanced, uh, engaged, thorough, thoughtful, um, kind of well-documented way so people can learn not only about the kind of technical details or the policy issues and the range of perspectives on policing, but through the lens of, you know, a black man living in Edmonton. 
that's that, that's very interesting, and I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, to listening to that podcast. Where where can people find it? It should be available on, on every kind of uh, streaming channel. We're just waiting to get approved from Apple. It takes some time, but you can go to our website. Is this for real? Ca, just as it sounds. Is this for real? Ca. Okay, that's great, and we'll put a, we'll make sure to put a link up to it. Uh, on the uh, in in the show notes with this episode, and we'll uh, we can tweet out a link to it too because I do encourage uh, uh, a lot of people to go uh, go and listen to this podcast. Uh, you just had your first episode out, and I'm I'm looking forward to hearing uh, looking forward to listening to it, and looking forward to to hearing other episodes as well. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it, Dave. Uh, so that's it for this episode. Thanks again to our producer Adam Rosenhart for making this podcast sound so good and. Thank you so much to Avnish for joining us today. Uh, your depth of knowledge on this issue, your passion for this issue, uh, I think I, I think I know uh, many of our listeners will, will really appreciate it. And I'm really glad. I'm really I'm really appreciative that you were able to take some time to join us today. Um, thank you very much. I, I, pleasure, and I just love the podcast and just this opportunity to speak about these issues that are, I think, very important. Well, thank thank you, and and if you don't already follow Avnish on Twitter, I do encourage you to follow him at at Avnish Nanda uh, on Twitter uh, because his he is uh, he is prolific uh, with great tweets and lately very topical about this issue, and uh, and I would definitely encourage a lot of people to go check him out and follow him follow him on Twitter. Uh, the Alberta Podcast. We are a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown and community supported. Uh, send us your feedback or ask us any questions you have for our next episode. You can get us on Twitter at, and Instagram at, at DaveBerta or on the DaveBerta Facebook page, or you can email us at podcast at DaveBerta.ca. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.